It's a really difficult time to be a person. You're supposed to have all this stuff figured out. You're supposed to just know these answers. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of expectations. There's no such thing as a community that is exclusively online. There's no such thing. The word is being bastardized and I want it back. We're human beings. We're social creatures. We need to be social. Well, hey there, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, many of you probably know our mission as a business at Path for Growth is to help impact-driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And this podcast is really just another iteration of that mission coming to life. And we've got really two formats that we fall into whenever we release one of these podcast episodes. We've got our content format, and our goal in those content episodes is to be efficient and effective in making you a stronger individual and a more effective leader in under 25 minutes. And then we've got these long-form conversations. And we said in our first one that we really have have three objectives anytime we hold a path for growth conversation. It's to get to know the individual's story, to learn from their perspective, and then finally to get past surface level as fast as possible. And I'm so excited because we certainly accomplished those objectives for this conversation episode today because I got to sit down with Jason McCarthy, who is the CEO and founder of an unbelievable world-class organization called Go Ruck. Now, I first coincided with this company. It was a couple years ago when a friend invited me to go on a Go Ruck Tough challenge. And so here's how this played out. He invited me to go on this thing and it was later that weekend. And what you do is you get this backpack and you can use one of the GoRuck backpacks because it is a gear company. And we show up at 9 p.m. at night right on the edge of the Cumberland River in Nashville. So it's 9 p.m. And what occurred then is something I will never forget. You show up with about 10, maybe 12 strangers were there that night. And there's one guy that's kind of, he's called a cadre and he's the leader for the entirety of the night of this group. And he immediately told us to have these backpacks on. You've got 40 pounds of weight in these backpacks. And we immediately got in the river. After that, we started doing bear crawls. After that, we started running. We started doing burpees. We started doing push-ups and pull-ups. All while there's 40 pounds on your back. Started carrying sandbags and everything had to be done as a team. It was unbelievable. And it took place over the course of 12 hours. We started at 9 p.m. at night. We ended at 9 a.m. in the morning. And I will tell you, it was one of the most unbelievable things I've ever been a part of. And part of what made it so unique was the team aspect. It was like this giant social experiment, seeing how all these strangers were being forced to work together. And it's amazing what people collectively are capable of when their backs are against the wall. So ever since I did that, I've been such a fan of this brand. I've been such a fan of this company. And it's a company that was really birthed out of Jason's experience as a Green Beret. But here's what's so cool about Jason. He just released this book called How Not to Start a Backpack Company. And it really walks through the uh, roller coaster winding journey 
that entrepreneurship looked like for him. And he makes no bones about the fact that it was not a straight up into the right trajectory from day one. In fact, it was a very personally and professionally convoluted story for him to start this business all the way up into what it is today, which is a company that, I mean, is really an international brand that has generated over a hundred million dollars in revenue. It's an absolutely unbelievable story that is characterized by grit. It's characterized by resilience. And the word that always comes to mind whenever I talk to Jason, it's a story that's characterized by authenticity. And so where we pick up within this story in this conversation is right after Jason graduated college. And he was a guy that was absolutely filled with passion, but he was on a hunt to find a sense of purpose just graduated from college and was trying to figure out what was next in life. It's a really difficult time to be a person, right? <laughs> I mean, when you're supposed to have all this stuff figured out, you're, you're supposed to just know these answers. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of expectations. And what was really hard for me was I, I knew that I was passionate, but I didn't know how that translated into this world that we're all in, you know? Mm. So it's why a lot of times kids will go backpack in Europe or do whatever like that. And it's, it's, you want an adventure. You want something meaningful to happen. I mean, it's Jack Kerouac on the road, you know, it's, it's <laughs> like you're, right. you're looking for deeper meaning wherever you can find it, but you know, you're not going to find it living in your bedroom with, with your parents in the house. Right. I mean, you know, that life and you, you need to experience something more and yeah, I mean, you want to find yourself and all that like highfalutin stuff, but really you're just looking for something like, you know, it's, it's, you'll read other authors talk about, you know, or some, some like Sebastian Junger, like I, I wanted a war, right? Yeah. Like war, war is one of those things that it just provides instantaneous meaning to, to the people that go and fight it. And I, this is not some parade where I'm saying every kid needs to go find a war. What I'm saying is, is that we're looking for meaning. Mm. And, and so, you know, trying to, to grab a buddy, my best friend and go, you know, we flew into, to Belize city with no plan whatsoever. Right. And, <laughs> and rapidly went to Guatemala pretty fast out of Belize. Guatemala was just gorgeous. Mm. You know, we're riding chicken buses and, you know, learning how to read on a chicken bus, right. Without throwing up. <laughs> down there i mean there's there's monkeys at t call at at uh you know at before sunrise up there if you if you get up and you're there before sunrise you see the monkeys roaming around these old ruins and you know there's a lot of other travelers that are out and about and people have stories from all over the world and you're you're just kind of broadening your horizons a little bit and it's not just the places that you go cuz you're not a local even mm. if you you can do it a little bit better but you're not a local but there are just lots of other people with lots of other stories and you get to, you have so much time. You might as well spend it well learning new stuff from other people and kind of seeing what life has to offer. And so that, that's what we did. And it was simple and, and beautiful in some ways, but it's, it's not like you find yourself there. There's not the, the magic answers that, you know, DiCaprio found in the beach in, in Thailand or whatever the case may be. You find more questions than you do answers. 
Ooh, find more questions than you do answers. What do you mean by that? Like, where were you whenever you come back? I think you spent a couple months over there, right? And then you come back. What are the questions that you have after that trip ends? Yeah, I mean, vacation is not reality. You know, you, you can't just go around on a, on a bus, chicken buses, and read really cool books about other people's adventures forever. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our dreams have to marry up with reality somehow right i mean or else you're just living a a world divided in in two where mm. you're just kind of wishing and wanting for something that that just won't translate i mean eventually people have to do real work you have yeah. to actually you know find something that day after day and i know this is this is one of your your core tenants is like this happens every day like mm-hmm. you need to find something that you can do that you're passionate about that provides greater meaning to you. And, and that you're not going to find that on vacation, right? That that's, a, it's escapism. And, and yes, you can come back and it can enrich and reward the rest of your life, but you can't keep jumping from escape to escape. Yeah, that's so good. I, uh, I don't know if you follow many of the acronyms or anything like that, but one of the ones that I keep seeing pop up is this acronym FIRE, Financially Independent Retire Early, right? And it's all these people that just want to, they, they want to uh, hustle like crazy on anything that will make them enough money to then go travel the world. Snake but oil. It sound, is, is that right? Okay. So you said snake oil, correct? Is that's that what you said? Snake oil. Yeah. I Explain. mean, look, everyone's selling an easy life. This is how you, this is how you do it easier. This is, this is the, the silver bullet. Let me just buy this book or, you know, join my pyramid marketing scheme and you'll, you'll just be printing money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And some of the mechanics of stuff. I mean, if you go into a sales position and you do well, you will make a lot of money. If you go into banking, you will make a lot of money. If you go into like the army, you won't. Right now, the difference though is that when, when you start to say, okay, my goal is to do something so I can do it really fast and then I can stop doing it. Think, think about that. Like <laughs> if you do something you love, why would you want to stop doing it? That's right. And, and so, you know, as, as you get into entrepreneurship and you say, oh, I love my cause. I love my mission. I love my team, all this stuff. You can kind of romanticize this idea of, okay, I can understand how I might want to do that forever. But then I look at my dad, right? My dad's been a pressman for 40 years, 41 years, because I'm 41 and he's been a pressman at the same print shop in Dayton, Ohio, since I was born. Unreal. He he enjoys the camaraderie and the community that he has with the guys there. Now he's getting he's getting close to retirement, right? He wants to you yeah. know, tinker around the house and stay busy and do other stuff and spend more time with his grandkids. God bless him because we we want that too, right? But he's not looking to escape from from his day to day life. He just really enjoys the people that he works with, and you know he's a damn good pressman and he's really proud of the work that he puts in there, and it provides some meaning for mm-hmm. for him and. And so I just think that there's too much emphasis on get rich quick schemes that are, that promise an easy life. I, I think that an easy life is fundamentally snake oil. Like there is nothing easy about life. And so when someone promises this is the silver bullet or this is how you have an easier life, I, it just, it doesn't work. 
Okay, so related to that, because you come back from Central America and and it's almost like whiplash, at least the way I've heard you tell this story. It's like you, you find yourself in a call center. And I, I mean, at least my understanding is it's kind of like a smile and dial roll that just seems mind numbing to a degree, especially for someone that I know is wired like you are. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I was grateful to have a job, right? Yeah. I mean, people forget about these People for, I'll get to why I didn't enjoy it in a second, but people forget about these kind of milestones that happen. You know, the tech, the tech bubble burst in 2000, right? So yeah. I was in college and I remember the, the, the kids there or the guys and gals that were two grades ahead of me, whatever, you know, there was all these stories of they moved out to San Francisco or Silicon Valley and they were making six figures out of college. And I remember my grandfather. It grew up in a slightly different era, right? Post-depression era. He's like, that makes no sense. No kid out of college is worth anything remotely close to that. Kids out of college are worth basically nothing. That, that's what he said. And, you know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to dispute that, really, right? Um, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I don't want to say that there's no value. It's just you're going to, you, you have a lot to learn. That's basically mm -hmm. his point. Like coming in six figures with, with a degree, like, come on. You know, there's no real world experience there in, in mass. Right. So anyway, I, I did, I took a job. It was a, it was a call center where basically it was dialing for you know, retention. I, gosh, I, I kind of suppressed these memories. Um, <laughs> we were trying to get point of point of sale contacts at all of these various um, car dealerships to focus on selling them something that would help them retain their customers or something like that. Right. Thrilling, thrilling work, huh? Yeah. You know, it was just this big pile of, of digital data and it's like, call all of these and, and mm. figure out how many point of POCs, points of contact that you can get at all these. And that's your metric. Just do this all summer. Yeah. Okay. But so you're sitting there. I would assume that's hard. I would assume there's days where that is a grind, right? So what's the difference between doing that type of hard work that we hear? And it's just like, we know that's not where you ended long-term versus hard work that is actually the right hard work. Because sometimes I think it can be hard to decipher, like, is this hard because it's not right? Or is this hard just because hard things are necessary in life and I need to stick with them? Does that make sense, Jason? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I think, look, when you're, when you're young, I mean, you need to pay your dues. Let's let's get that out there. And sometimes that means you need to in the army it means you need to mop the floors and you need to do you know all the all the kind of menial tasks when you're a private or you're you know whatever, right? Like there's lots of menial tasks that need to be done. And the army is a good way to kind of show this as an example, but translating it more to to the business world. I mean, yes, it would have been better to find some jobs program at McKinsey or Goldman Sachs or whatever, even if you don't want to stay there. Like if they're going to invest a bunch of training in you and do all of this stuff, that that's great, right? Regardless of whether you you get through that or you don't, right? I mean, you just need to start somewhere. Sometimes, like it takes a job to get a job. Nothing is nothing has to be permanent. Now, that's a that's a trap too, mm -hmm. because if if you start somewhere and you're like, oh, I don't really like this. This isn't for me. And you get addicted to the paycheck and, and you get addicted to that place because change is difficult. Then, you know, that's, you look back 10 years later and you didn't make any of the changes 
that you had hoped you'd make going into it because change can be hard. So look, I think sometimes things have to just kind of like you have to pay your dues. And I think that we've gone a little bit too far in catering to too many, too many people, right? Like mm-hmm. this is going to be perfect for you and and all of this stuff. You know, there's a, there's a bagel bar and there's someone to, you know, wipe <laughs> to, to, to spread the cream cheese on your bagel for you every morning. I mean, get your own <laughs> damn bagel and spread your own damn cream cheese, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, that's it's right. like, you know, if, if, if that's the culture, I mean, I don't think that's a productive culture for, for our, youth who will take over the world someday to, to grow up as, as a part of like, this isn't about you. You need to come in, find an organization. If, if there were any advice that I had to give, it would be find an organization whose mission you support and whose values you believe in and join that organization. What you do there really doesn't matter that much, especially mm-hmm. out of the gates. Cause you need to navigate through yourself a little bit and in the time that, that, you need to just put in the time and you can, you can look back in a year or two years. You don't want to job jump every, every three months because, you know, the, the dudes spread the, the <laughs> spread the cream cheese, not quite right for you. You know, I mean, like you need, you need to actually give it a chance, especially if you're aligned on, on the mission and the values of the organization. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's ultimately, I mean, my stepdad worked at the, he worked at the company. So, you know, I got a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of some of the other stuff that was going on, but that was just because, you know, we'd end up working out together and I was, I was staying at his, his condo that was down there. Right. And so, um, you know, th- there was, there was more other fulfilling things. The, the, there were two other people that worked in this little call center with me. That's it. There were three of us. We were all Gosh. about the same age. And that was also kind of fun. Because misery loves company and you can smile through, <laughs> you can smile through anything with some company, you know? And so that part of it, I, I think back almost fondly and it, you know, it, it prepares you for, to have the perspective later on in life of what it feels like when things are, are going well, you have some perspective, mm-hmm. like you've earned it. And, you know, that, that feeling is not for sale. Ooh, that's good. Uh, so I think it's while you're at that call center that, that the towers are hit on nine 11. And I know that that is a pretty, that is a pretty critical juncture for you and your story. Obviously that's a pretty critical juncture for our country. Explain, explain what that did inside of you and what the result of that day was for you, Jason. Yeah. So, I mean, the the overwhelming, reaction was just rage. Mm. And and that was something that, you know, I'm, I look back now and I'm, I'm fortunate if it had to happen, I was very fortunate that it happened when I was 22 years old without any real attachments. You know, I didn't have a wife and kids. I didn't have anything to kind of stop me from, from doing what I, I needed to do at that time. And I just, I felt really far away from what was happening to our, to our country. I mean, no, I was in Daytona Beach, Florida, not DC, not New York. I, I, there was nothing I could do, right? I mean, I can work harder, Mm -hmm. you know, at at a call center that, that, that just didn't, that didn't do it for me anymore. It really didn't do it for me anymore. So yet, you know, I, I stayed there for a little while longer and I remember just, I started working out like a fiend. I mean, they had this gym 
and you know, I'd, I'd be there after work. Everyone else is gone. And I remember watching CNN be on the treadmill or something. I don't, I don't, I'm not big in the treadmill anymore, but <laughs> back then, you know, it was like, I could speed it up really fast, you know, and, and that was great. Right. And we, we all rationalize what we need to. And there was the big TV screens. And I remember watching CNN with just, you could see the, the soldiers in the early days of Afghanistan. And it would show through NVGs, the night vision goggles were, uh, everything was green, you know, Mm. And it just gave this green hue to to how the war was being fought. And I felt really, really far away from that. And I, you know, but I felt like those were, those were the guys and gals that were, were making the most difference. And so that's, that's where I wanted to go. And that's what I wanted to do. Are you, do you think you were naturally wired as an, an exceptionally cause driven individual? Like, are you, are you really called and you feel driven by cause? Or do you think that that is actually inside of everyone and it's just manifested in different ways for people? How do you land on that, Jason? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a little bit of the, the nature nurture debate, the, the wildflower orchid debate. I mean, th- these are really existential type questions. I think it's always a, a blend. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was, I, I mean, if if you ever meet my mom or my uncle, I mean, you, the, my, my late grandfather, it's, they were very stubborn people. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's kind of the, the Norwegian side of the, the, <laughs> the family. Right. And, and what I did find throughout my life was that I, I just, I really wanted to do something extraordinary. I, I just, I was, I, I just, always wanted to keep looking up and going after that. And my, my family really gave me this sense that anything was possible. You know, like you got to work really hard, but you can do anything that you put your mind to. And I think I was, I was blessed to have a mind that was very stubborn. So, you know, there's just sort of, I can do this if I work hard. And and so I think it is kind of a, a combination of, it's a combination of, of all of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you feel called towards something extraordinary. You want to do extraordinary work. Um, I know it takes some time, but you respond to this, this call to service out of nine 11 and that's what you feel compelled to do. Um, but I know out of that, it's like the, the step one in responding to that call to service probably from my perspective doesn't look super extraordinary, right? It's probably far from that. I would assume, did it feel extraordinary at the time or, or what was your thoughts whenever you really first started joining, uh, joining the army? And what did that look like for you, Jason? I mean, I was far from unique. You know, I mean, this was, this was a call that so many people answered and so many more people wanted to answer. And so in, in the very early days, it just, I mean, this is what people were talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, the war on terror was, it was as ubiquitous as the, the virus is right now. I mean, this is what people were talking about. And so it felt like a very natural thing to me. It felt Mm -hmm. like this was the center of the universe and, and this was the best way to serve our, our cause. And so, Yet basic training is not, you know, hunting for bin Laden in Afghanistan and, and you, you still have to pay your dues. I mean, that's, that's basically what the first two plus years of my time in the army were was just paying my dues. So how is it that the military, and I wonder if you've created this culture in Goruk as well, 
they have created a culture there where the expectation people come in with the expectation of you have to pay your dues. And, uh, and uh, like, it seems like I, from the outside looking in, like, I know that that's the case, right? I know that if you're going to join, there's a level of you have to pay your dues for probably years. But so often we work with organizations, businesses that that is not the understood expectation, right? Because there's not a culture around, you're going to have to pay your dues for some time and that's almost not okay. So how, how is it that that culture exists, Jason? Well, I mean, you get, it's, it's a, first off, it is a culture, right? It's a strong culture with, with a, a mission of service to, to America. And so you attract patriots. I mean, you attract people who are naturally going to want to, support that mission and live those values. And so you're starting off at a, at a great position in terms of the people that you get who show up and you're, you're not, it, it's not like, Oh, you just take anybody and send anybody to basic training. I mean, that's, that's what happens when there's a draft. This is a volunteer. This is a volunteer service organization, right? The, the army or, or any of the branches of, of the military. So, there is a selection of sorts that that brings people in. I mean, you know you're going to pay your dues. Everybody goes through the same same thing, basic training or or something loosely equivalent to that, and it just it, it gets your mind right. Mm. It, it shows you how you're going to serve. It in but it, but you know everybody already wants to serve, so it's it's just if if you're an organization out there and you don't have a culture. Then you're going to attract people that don't mind going to a place that doesn't have a culture or mission or values that, that are really worth fighting for. And, and that's not ideal. What's ideal is have a really strong mission and really strong values and then attract the right people. Man, that's really good because, uh, it seems like a lot of times what people, uh, and I don't even know if they're attracting, maybe more trying to recruit talent. The thing that the message that they use to recruit talent is we have someone to spread your bagel, essentially. It's like, look at all these perks we have. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. Whereas you think about the military and the military literally markets the fact that this is going to be one of the hardest things you ever do. And the people that are signing up for that know this is going to be one of the hardest things you'll ever do. They're not going to hide that, but I think it seems like they're sending, but it's going to be worth it. And they're kind of making that guarantee. It seems like that's a little bit of a shift there. Yeah, it's it's why there's a lot of issues when you get guys that are guys and gals that are transitioning out of the military and trying to make sense of of the corporate world. And so, you know, the military is is just remove the fact that the military's job is to defend the nation, just just treat it as kind of in, in the abstract form. It, it universally does it better than the average, say, company, right? Mm-hmm. Strong mission, strong values, attract like-minded people and go go achieve mission success. And, and if you're able to do that as an organization and, and keep doing it as an organization, then you're going to have really, really good success. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- which is honestly pretty remarkable. I, I, I've never really thought of this before, but it, it, it is so effective and it's so objective oriented and it's so, uh, I mean, what seems like efficient and, uh, and purpose driven almost to the degree that it's hard to believe it falls under the umbrella of the federal government. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like how, so, I mean, 
I, I, I didn't even think I was going to ask this question, but how is it that the, the military has been able to almost extract itself from the bureaucratic nightmare that is the United States federal government and, and become a really efficient operations oriented organization? Oh, well, it's, it's definitely bureaucratic. <laughs> when you have an organization that is life or death, the, the mission is, it's amplified. Right. I mean, there, there are big things that come out of that and that demands big things from the people who are a part of that organization. And that's, that's a fun place to be. So, you know, it's, it, there's plenty of bureaucracy, but there's these times where it's just so absolutely worth it. I mean, you're just on these small teams out in the middle of nowhere solving these incredibly complex problems with humans from, vastly different cultures to yours and and you just have to kind of figure it out and so then you know lots of times you got to go back and do a staff job or you don't get to do, do the cool guy stuff for a while but you're still on the team and and the team is a great place to be no matter where you are on on the team hmm. um biggest so basically it's it's just a better it's it's a stronger mission set than say the the dmv has you yeah, know? the stakes or, are just or, a little bit higher, huh? <laughs> yeah, and so you attract people that want the higher stakes, and so it it turns into, hey, the, the here's the people to my left and and the people to my right, and like, let let's solve this together. Yeah, if if someone's life was on the line, I wonder how quickly I could get my driver's license renewed. I, I bet you it would go a little bit faster. Yep, uh, I do too. Okay, biggest difference between Jason uh, before his time serving our country and after. What was the biggest shift or transformation for you, Jason? I mean, my perspective just mm. changed immensely and it changed fast. And, and I, I expected to go in and sort of fight the war and get out and then go back to my normally programmed life. It's, it's kind of what people are trying to do now, right? Endure the virus and then get back to their normally scheduled life. And and for me, what I did not expect was that it it would just change my heart. Mm. And so that service begets service. You see how rewarding it is to be on a team, to serve a mission greater than yourself, to to inspire and mentor and, and do these things for other people. And so that takes a lot of different forms. It's not only about service in the military. There's there's a there is a enormous list of ways that you can do that, even even through the the business world. And so we've kind of brought that mindset to GORUCK and that's extremely rewarding for us. Mm. One of the things that I, I love about the way you tell your story and tell the story of GORUCK, and certainly this is prevalent throughout the book, is it would be so easy to say, okay, I leave the military. I now have this unbelievably renewed perspective. My heart has shifted. And now out of that place of tremendous strength, I start this unbelievable, what's going to be a multi-million dollar company. Not exactly the story that you end up telling. Uh, so describe to us a little bit of on, on the leaving the military at that stage, prior to starting GORUCK or as the idea is being planned for GORUCK, what's going on for you personally at that time? Yeah. So my wife was in the CIA. So she was a case officer stationed in, in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. Right. And, you know, it's next to Ghana. It's like, you know, the, the Southern part of the West 
side of Africa. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I had to look it up on a map when she told me that's where she was getting posted to. So don't, don't feel bad if you don't know exactly where <laughs> it is. Right. And, and so we had been married for four years, none of which we'd lived together. She was at the farm in, in, uh, Williamsburg when, when I was in, you know, my training at Fort Bragg. And then, you know, she's in Africa fighting a war in the middle of a war, I should say. And, and I'm in, Iraq and it was just kind of a crazy thing. And so we kind of expected life to be great once we were together. So late 2008 and it just, it wasn't great. So I flew there, got out of the army, flew to, to Abidjan for, for, you know, the, the ending of the princess bride. So I thought, and it just was terrible. Like we had just sort of grown apart and mind you, we'd known each other since we were 15. She babysat my siblings growing up because I was gone a lot. Um, in the summers to go visit my dad in Ohio and stuff. And she was just a friend of the family. And we, we loved each other and we liked each other as mm. people and as families and stuff. And, and so there was just some kind of, it was just a really messy, difficult time where, you know, this, this rock that I had in my life, which was our, our marriage just started crumbling apart. And so ended up crashing on my buddy's couch in New York for a while and then kind of drifted around a little bit and still trying to kind of repair, repair our marriage. And, and that just kind of didn't, didn't happen. And yeah, I mean, it's just crazy how at, as you tell that story simultaneously, like in, in the book, there's, there's seeds of this go ruck thing being planted, but it's not like, it's like, okay, I, I fixed the relationship, fixed the marriage. And then I was good to start a business. It was like, it was all mixed up in there. <laughs> and, and I mean, the phrase that, uh, the phrase that literally gave me chills in the book was you said the grim reaper didn't just show up one day for a showdown. He was right there with us riding shotgun everywhere we went. Um, did, I mean, did it, did it feel that way? Like how, where were you at mentally? Where were you at emotionally? Especially whenever you go back to New York and you think your marriage has fallen apart, you've lost, you've lost uh, the commitment that you made with the military, which I know how important that was with you and the cause that you were serving there. What did that feel like at that time? Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like all my support structures had been ripped out underneath me. I mean, my plan was to go back and join the paramilitary branch of the CIA and then we'd both be in the CIA and it would be a little easier to kind of coordinate some of, you know, like some of our activities under one organization is a lot easier than, than two. Right. And that just wasn't meant to be. So, you know, I, I, I used my post nine eleven GI bill, which was, you know, a really smart move in, in hindsight. And I got a, you know, I, I got the dog, which was also uh, yeah. great. I mean, life-saving thing for, for me. <laughs> that and, dog and, is really the hero of this entire story. It's pretty amazing. Well, I mean, I, I dedicated the book to the damn dog, right? <laughs> I mean, right. you know, it's, he, he was, he was something. And, and so, you know, I, you know, I'd gotten into business school in 2009, which was just structure. It was something to do, hmm. right? It felt like, it, it's different than trying to go find yourself like uh, in, in chicken buses in Central America or just pure escapism. I mean, it, it kind of, the, the structure was really good, right? Mm -hmm. as, as much as we want to be free and, and all of this stuff, I mean, freedom and structure don't necessarily have to be enemies, you know? And so business school was good, but it it wasn't, it wasn't the silver bullet. You know, it was just buying me time to kind of ease into a different kind of life. And so 
that summer decided, you know, Goruk had been kind of just a hobby. This this was not something that you read about where, oh, started the company and then it was just balls to the wall, all in, you know, out of the gates and and we're just gonna go, go, go. It was this was something to do. And I was I was a guy that needed something to do. I'm still always a guy that needs something to do that's but it was a hobby. And so I, I didn't really want to go work at a bank or a, a call center or even manage a call center, right? Uh, <laughs> after in between years at a business school. So just like, Hey, I'll just do the go ruck thing, drive around, drive around the country and try to sell our bags in retail shops and stuff like that. And didn't have a very good plan and, and lived with the consequences of, of that not very good plan <laughs> that summer. So you asked about my mindset. My mindset was not very good. It was just a really hard time in my life where, you know, you think that people think that you're either a leader or you're not. They think you're a confident person or you're not. There, everything is either or, you know, and it, confidence is perishable. It doesn't mean you can't be a confident person again, but it's a perishable thing. And so, you know, I was about as low on that rung as I could, as I've ever been. And, and I've, it's one of those things, you know, as I described earlier, I was thought there's nothing I can't do. Just work hard. Well, this was a, this was a challenge and a threat to that kind of mindset because nothing was really going well for me. And, and that's, that's as much of a mental challenge as, as it's in fact, it's only a mental challenge really, because, you know, it's like, oh, well find some confidence. Well, that takes time. It's not something that just happens overnight. There's not a, there's not an easy button on that. Sorry. You know, it's, it's, you got to kind of pick a new path or you got to pick something else to do. And business school helped. GORUCK was kind of parallel path flanking that, that story. So it was something else to do at the same time. And, you know, I, I was fortunate that ultimately it, it's worked out, but I, I really wanted to. And, and the purpose, the main purpose of writing the, the book, or sharing the journal and and kind of with the which became the book of of that summer was just to remove the veneer. I mean, I, I there's just so much stuff out there where everybody thinks that everyone else's life is just so perfect. And you know, I'm 41 years old. This was a decade ago or 11 years ago. No, a decade ago th this summer, and like it was really really horrible. And so you you'll see me now and. You know, I got pictures of my kids on the beach and life's good and I got a dog and monster's great and you know, I ruck to work and I have mission and purpose and meaning in my life. But it, it didn't come without cost. It didn't come without having to persevere through something that was really significant to me. And that was a that was just a really hard time in my life, but it's meant to show people that this is normal. Mm. Like nobody's story is identical and nobody's story is quote normal, but we all have them. And this too shall pass. You just got to keep going. Yeah. Um, mm. I love the way the book is written because it, it literally, you can kind of put yourself in your shoes and there's multiple times where it feels like, Oh my gosh, this guy's literally just about to stall out. Like this thing's just about to peter out. And, and I have the benefit of now knowing, 
now knowing where you're at. But it's like, I mean, there's even times where it's like there's there's opportunities, it feels like, for you to just escape and hit the eject button. And and it's like, it seems like alcohol presented one of those opportunities and the couch. And then the fact that the friend whose house you're staying at, which is like awesome, but then he's a bartender. And it's like, well, screw that. That's not very helpful. And, and so, it, I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of opportunity for you to escape and at the same time, yes, you have external structure that keeps you going, but what was it internally that kept you getting out of bed and kept you at least just moving forward, even if it's at a slug's pace? What were you moving forward towards at that time, Jason? I mean, I think I was fundamentally ashamed of where my life was. And so at some point, you can only take so much of that. Mm. At least I couldn't. I, I couldn't walk around. I mean, you start hiding your life from people that you love, you know, you, you just completely disengage from people that you love and you kind of put yourself into more of a cocoon and you just kind of go a lot more radio silent. And, you know, I just, I, I mean, I was doing other things that provided contact with the outside world. So, I mean, I did apply to business school. I was not come in and, you know, Emily and I were still, you know, this is like very avant-garde of us, but we were having a, a, a relationship discussions over Zoom or whatever it was back at the time, right? I mean, before it was I, even I it was cool. Skype. It was Skype at the time. And, you know, I mean, and sometimes those calls would go well and it was, you know, kind of oxygen for, for, hey, I guess I'll finish up those business school applications. And that would last me for a day. Right. Mm. And then it's kind of, you know, you get back in your own head and don't have a lot going on. So I, I don't think there's a, a simple answer to what kept me going. I mean, time just kept going and I, I, I did enough. It just, everything was so slow. I mean, things that would take no time now, like I can do them, I can do them before I start work now. It took me, you know, days, weeks, months at times mm. there. And, and so you know, I was lucky to have some some friends around that kind of got me out enough. I was lucky to, you know, I mean, the holidays came around and I saw my my family, right? Which is good and bad sometimes because you have to confront some stuff. But ultimately, I just, I, I couldn't stay in that state forever. It, it's like, you, you got to look yourself in the mirror at some point and say, this, this sucks. Like, th this is, this is not going to continue. And then it's, it's like, and for me, it was really my dog. Eventually when that, when Java came into the picture, you know, dogs have to do things like go outside and they need things like exercise and they, they need to go on walks. And so you go outside and there's sunshine or you go outside and it's miserable weather, but you're with the dog and Java loved cold, bad weather. Right. <laughs> and so God bless that dog. My goodness. Yeah. And so it was, it was just one of those things where little baby steps lead to much larger steps later. You just got to start somewhere. And the yeah. first steps were Java's and, and that was really the beginning of kind of the, the path to recovery. Mm. Are you familiar with Steve Pressfield, Jason? Do you know the war of art or any of those books? I've heard that book get thrown around a whole lot. Um, I have not read it the, yet, though. I don't know that I you need. I don't know that you need to read it because you've kind of lived it to a degree. Uh, one of the things he talks about in that book is he he kind of personifies this force that we are all operating against to do creative work, and he personifies it as what he calls resistance. 
And one of the claims that he makes in the book is that resistance is strongest right whenever you're on the precipice of actually doing work that matters, actually doing something that matters. And it just, it strikes me that literally as you're in the, I mean, the super infant baby stages of birthing this vision that will one day be go ruck, like it seems like simultaneously, literally at the same time, uh, you're going through probably what is one of the crucible moments of your career and, and your life. Do you do you view it that way or do you view it as a war that was going on inside of you at that time? No, I think that would be giving me too much credit. <laughs> I, I, I think that I think there were there was an element of. So the, the easy thing to relate this to is when people talk about, well, do you have to be miserable to write a good song or something? Mm. Right. Yeah. And I don't right. think this is that. I, I, I don't want to touch that debate because I'm not a songwriter, <laughs> but, but this was not the case where it was great to be miserable and personally in, in a really bad spot. Like that, that was not a good thing. And, and so. It, it just kind of compounded the difficulties of, of starting the business. And, and, you know, I really, really at some point fell back on my training and, and that's, you know, I, I, that's what you do in war as well. Now this wasn't war and, and the training that I fell back on was different, but I also fell back on the mindset, you know, like you start to think about the things you have to figure out a way to, to boost yourself up a little bit. We all have to do this. And it, you know, it's, it's not whatever it was, Stuart Smiley staring himself in the mirror saying, I'm, I'm so good or whatever, but it's like, look, I, I know the things that I've done. I know what I'm capable of. Like that's where the well of confidence comes from. I know what kind of leadership I've exhibited in the past. I know I can do that again. You just got to accept it with some humility and say, but this is different and I'm starting, starting over. Mm. So, you know, I don't think it took that situation to get to where Goruk was this great vision because frankly, it wasn't a great vision. It took my life getting a little bit calmer before it, it really kind of crystallized. And, you know, that said, the failures of the business did lead to th this summer did eventually lead to, well, we got to do something else and I got to do it fast, mm. you know? And so that led to the event side of the business and bringing people together and community building. And, and that those tactics that I used there were very much part of the training that I had had in, in special forces. So drawing upon not only the gear stuff that I'd learned there, but also the community building and, and team building stuff. And so if anything, that's more closely aligned with, with what you're, you're, you're the, the quote you're talking about of, uh, War, war of art. Yeah. It? War of art and the resistance. Yeah. It's a, it's a great book. You should check it out sometime. You could probably read it in a day. Um, but it's interesting, like reading your book, uh, I've done, I've done one of your events, right. And, uh, absolutely hated it and loved it at the same time. Right. Which is kind of, yeah. kind of that dichotomy, I suppose. But it was, it was interesting. I thought about it. I was like, man, going through this book kind of feels like going through that event because <laughs> one of the things that I love about the way that you have compiled it is it's not like there's ever these quick fixes to anything because it's literally your journal and you're walking through this and, and it just removes any, it helped me remove any expectation for myself that it's like, there's never going to be a day where it's like snap transformation, snap breakthrough, snap, you're moving forward in this direction now. And it's snake just, oil, man. Yeah. It just felt like, I mean, the book 
and the building of the business, it just feels like a slog. But, but in, in kind of, it seems like you had reached a level of acceptance around this is the slog, but it's the right slog. And so I'm just going to keep moving forward. You got to embrace the suck, man. <laughs> I mean, you just got to embrace it. And if, if you don't like that, then maybe starting your own business isn't for you. Mm. If, you know, I mean, no matter what though, life's going to be hard. So if you hope for an easier life, you're going to always be disappointed. And if you do other things that are hard, you'll get better at doing other hard things. Mm -hmm. You can't just do easy things to train for life because life's hard. doesn't make sense. Man, I love that. Uh, and, and I love how the result of that is not one day you reach a point where this gets easy. Like it is just continually like we're going to keep moving forward, but it's driven by a purpose that you clearly believe in. You already highlighted this a little bit, but one of the phrases that I've heard you use a lot is, is that phrase by, with, and through other people. And you use that refer referring to your time in, in special forces. You use that referring to, to the company that you're building now. Um, explain to us what that phrase means to you and, and why that phrase matters so much, Jason. Yeah. So I love talking about the Green Berets, right? I would not be who I am or where I am without the, the men who served in that regiment who taught me so much. And then I served beside and the core mission of the Green Berets is to work by, with, and through partner forces in order to achieve your mission success. So I'll give you, I'll give you one example of what it's not like. So the bin Laden raid, right? You've basically got a team of SEALs flying in unilaterally into a, a compound in Pakistan, doing their business and, and going home, right? There's, they're in fact, the opposite of country coordination. We kept Pakistan completely in the dark, right? Now, that was probably the right thing to do, and, and that mission is, is a vital mission to know how to do, but, when, but our mission, the classic mission set is to go into Iraq or Afghanistan and say it's Iraq because that's where I was, and work with the, the Iraqi special forces and train them up and then maybe embolden or empower their communities where they live, right? So if it's a, you know, if it's a police compound, maybe you focus on base fortifications. If, if there's, you know, you're part of the community there and they always are, maybe you have some medical, you know, open medical clinics and you invite the people of the community to come in. Maybe you show up and you pass out food or humanitarian efforts, or you dig wells and ditches, stuff like that, right. To, to really win hearts and minds. And, and that's kind of around the fringes of buy with and through, but you, you train with these partner forces and then you go into battle with these partner forces and they're leading. I mean, you're, you're kind of controlling a, a lot of things as they happen, but they're the first ones in the door. They're, they're the ones fighting in their own country because they have all the intelligence. I mean, this, this is exactly what we did right after 9-11. We, meaning army special forces was, you know, linked up with the Northern Alliance to defeat the Taliban. The other tactic is like, like the Russians failed to do. You just keep sending in more helicopters, more troops and more tanks, and you try to do it unilaterally. That, that doesn't work. And so this, it, it's, it's just this technique, this tactic by, with, and through is just really hard. It's, it's kind of soft skill, human, human, you're looking people in the eye every single day and asking them how they're doing and what's up with their families and stuff like that. And those are the people that you're fighting with. So it's harder, it's harder work, but it's also the most enduring and sustainable way to kind of build trust and, and friendships 
and to strengthen the community that you're that you're a part of. How has that how has that principle and that value for you as something that's really important manifest in the company that you're building and the tribe of people that surround that company, Jason? I mean, that's that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, we we are we we put on events where special forces cadres show up and lead small teams of people and and build them into a team. Like all the steps are taken together. You know, we we empower local Go Ruck Club leaders to organize themselves in their communities where they live to, to, you know, come together for fitness and activity. And, and sometimes that means social activity. That means service activity. It means you, you're doing lots of other stuff. It's not like they just show up and talk about rucksacks or backpacks for two hours, right? That, that's got nothing to do with it. Like you're meant to come together and work out together, drink cold beer when you're done. If you want, drink Coca Cola if you want. And, and spend time with people in a short life together. And, and that's a community in the real world. So, you know, we have almost 400 uh, go-ruck clubs around the country and, and around the world. And that's just our model, these community hubs. And we're out kind of from headquarters, I guess, kind of leading a fraction or some of some events, but it's really about community empowerment. Yeah. I mean, it's almost to the point where it's like, you go look at your website, you go look at everything y'all are doing now and you look at it and you're like, this isn't, this isn't a backpack company. Uh, so, I mean, it was that an intentional decision on your part at some point? Was there a moment where you said like, Hey, the backpacks are something we do, but it's not who we are. Or how did that come about? Well, that was, that was since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, GORUCK was a hobby until the events started. It was something that I didn't want to fail at because I didn't want to fail one more thing. I'd already kind of quit my team in the military. At least that's how I felt. I'd failed at my job. Uh, sorry, I'd failed in my marriage. You know, I didn't have a job. I, like there was all these things I didn't have. And so GORUCK was kind of like a, my revenge against a lot of that. And I positioned it that and I don't, I don't like to fail. Yeah. It's, it's not something that I like at all. I hate it. And so. You know, yet I was not bought into the mission of GORUCK when we were building a, a rucksack. Even though it's like time has proven that GR1 is a pretty good rucksack, dare call it a backpack, right? Yeah, that's right. But, but the point is, is that I, GORUCK would not be in existence if that's what we were doing. And so it took the event side for, for that to happen. And once that happened, it's like, that's why, you know, how not to start a backpack company. It's, it's, it's a joke to me because <laughs> because we were never going to be a backpack company like the world does not need another backpack company it needs very few things companies anymore i mean we have everything and you you hear all these stories about oh you know i couldn't find the right shirt so i started a a shirt company like just just spare me your bs <laughs> you can find a custom shirt that is perfect in 4 minutes with a Google search and you can have it in your door in three days. Like you could find the perfect shirt. So you can find a backpack, you can find a shirt. What can you not find that you hope go ruck provides for people, Jason meaning and community. Cause it's not about, it's not about headquarters. It's about the, the people in your community that you're, you're doing things with. We can inspire people. We can educate people on, we can bring organize and bring people together and the magic is not in the one time that we bring people together. It's in the relationships that are formed 
when they come together and what happens with those relationships, how those relationships grow once you've done something hard together, once you've done, I mean, it's like this morning, it's, it's every Friday morning at six 30, we've got a group, you know, this morning, there's probably seven or eight of us right outside headquarters. And like, we're literally just in the, the, the parking lot. And, you know, we work out for like 45 minutes and then, you know, it's, it's hot right now in Florida. So sweat for another 30 when we're done, just standing there and shoot the breeze a little bit with each other. And, you know, we're coworkers and there's some people from outside that just, you know, come here because it's something fun to do. And it's a, it's a really functioning little community, right? We care about each other. It's fun. And that's what, that's kind of what's missing in a lot of people's lives right now. Mm. We're, we're, we're pretending like online communities are communities. They're not, they're forums. Okay. Let, let's, let's define our terms. There's no such thing as a community that is exclusively online. The word is being bastardized and I want it back. There's no such thing. We're human beings. We're social creatures. We need, we need to be social. And so you bring people together and you say, let's do this. It'll be fun. It doesn't have to be fun to be fun. If you're, if you're doing it together. <laughs> That's so good. That's such a great line. It doesn't have to be fun to be fun. Okay. So, so you're building community and that's at the core of the company and what the company stands for. Um, do you have a story or a moment that stands out to you as go ruck as a company just hitting an absolute grand slam where it's something that happened that you look at it and you just say, that is who we are as a business. And if we can just replicate that over and over and over again, we are winning. I mean, I don't think we hit the grand slam. I think the community hit the grand slam. So, you know, we would go around and the cadre would go around and we would, we would lead these very challenging and difficult events all over the country and, and all over the world. And what we started to see was the community started to just organize itself. So you got Gorug NorCal, right? In San Francisco area. They, they get together, you know, they have a big Christmas party every year. You've got these, these, local communities that they're people are starving for this right oh i found some people that like to do fun stuff right again it doesn't have to be fun to be fun <laughs> that like to do some fun stuff and then oh by the way it leads to you know service opportunities it leads to lots of other great and rewarding and fulfilling things in our lives and so what we've really done is just try to keep up with our community so kind of officially empowering and and you know quote managing the, the rut clubs and just watching those grow over the years has been really rewarding. And, you know, I, I guess on the product side, it would probably be coming out with something that's, that's just specific for rucking, you know, cause like we believe that rucking should be bigger than running. And mm -hmm. there, there's a million different physiological and health and, and results based reasons why that should be the case. And so we've really doubled down on the rucker and ruck plates and, and just, you know, start with 20 pounds. And, and the thing is, is it's absolutely right. It's just it, no matter what, it takes time. Like if you're sitting out there, started a business and you're hoping to come up with a viral video that's going to solve all your problems, it won't. It's, it's not going to go viral and it's, it's not going to work. So don't even hope for it. And you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised if in the off chance it does go viral by whatever standards you, you define to be viral. And so it's just, it's, it's hard work day after day. So make sure you you like the mission and love the people that you're you're sharing the 
the journey toward that mission and, and working on that mission with. Well, it's amazing. I coincided with you and with GORUCK probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago. And I have seen more people, maybe it's because I'm looking for them more, but I feel like I have seen more people with backpacks on with bricks in it than, than I ever had before. Uh, and it's like the matrix, man. Once you know what you're looking for, it's, it's everywhere. It's out there. It's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. The work that y'all are doing. Um, you and I were talking before we hit record. You really bear your soul in this book. You tell a lot of your personal story. Um, and I mean, it just, it, it feels like it would be a little bit gut wrenching to walk through all of that and then certainly to be vulnerable with that and share all that with other people. So I know that was an intentional decision for you. What is the impact that you feel like this book will make on the people that read it, Jason? My hope is that it's empowering for people because, you know, I've had this conversation with several guys who have served in special forces and, and a lot of other people who have done a lot of really interesting stuff. And I have yet to meet the person who said, Oh man, my life's just been good. It's been easy. Grew up in the burbs. Everything was given to me, had too much money. I found too much success. I, I just really feel like I earned it and life's just perfect. I've, I've yet to meet those people. I've yet to meet anybody who says, man, my, my life's just been easy. And these are rich people. These are poor people. These are, and take your pick. And so, you know, when sometimes when you look at people's resumes or you look at their life on anti-social media or you look at, you know, wh whatever the case may be, it looks like they've got it all figured out. And, you know, I, I think I do have a lot figured out for where I am now. Life will change and life will adapt and life will evolve. It always does. But it wasn't always the case. Like there, there was this time when rock bottom was really low. And I think it's, there's license for people out there to say, it's okay, this too shall pass. And, you know, that's, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. And, and that's really what it boils down to. And so, you know, I, I wanted to provide some value like that and some entertainment of sorts, right? And then I also wanted to highlight the the trip that I took. I mean, I drove to all 48 states with my dog <laughs> and, and a fashion photographer and a couple other people. And, and it ended up with just me and, and, and Java, my dog. And America is a really beautiful place. Mm. And there's a lot of really incredible people out there. Simple, simple people. And I, I use simple like Da Vinci would define it, which is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And it's really easy to kind of poo-poo it. But there's just a lot of good people out there doing good stuff. And I wanted to see it. And I did. And I came back and it, it was very fulfilling and enriching to to have the those experiences and, and those memories with people that you know I just met once in in all across the country and the 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 through line was just it was just really great though I mean like travels with Charlie or you know on the road a little bit I mean that type of stuff like in search of America you know easy rider sort of mm. I mean that type of stuff and you know went to Dennis Hopper's grave yeah. in uh, New Mexico stuff like that you know and you just kind of feel like you're feel like you're part of a bigger team like team america something bigger than yourself and it felt really great to to experience that well that was one of the takeaways that i had is uh, i mean it's and it's so in alignment with your company it's like it's a backpack company but it's not a backpack company right it's a people company and i reading this book i was like it's a business book but 
in, in a similar way, it's not a business book. It's a book about people. And I felt like one of my takeaways was just like, man, Alex, you will, you will not go wrong by prioritizing relationships and by prioritizing people. Uh, and I think that your trip is a testament to that, Jason. Um, I wanted to share with people some of the closing paragraphs. Uh, we didn't really cover this, uh, in the course of this conversation, but spoiler alert, you and Emily get back together. It's just a, kind of insane. <laughs> like it's outrageous that that happens and the way that it happens. But it's also like you read the book and you're like, oh my gosh, how awesome. It's almost to, to a degree where it's like if they make a movie of this ever, everyone's going to say there's no way this actually happened because there's just too much <laughs> roller coaster. But the final paragraphs, this journey that Emily, this journey that Emily and I are on together is beautiful, not for its perfection, but for its scars. And because it's ours, it's hard to chase your dreams. It's hard to fail at the most important things in life. It's hard to pick yourself back up again and again and again. It's hard to ask for help to make yourself vulnerable. It's hard to say, I'm sorry. It's hard for you and for me and for Emily. It's hard for all of us, but it's better together. Dreaming big dreams is worth it. It's okay to learn as we go, to make mistakes, and to repent however we have to or need to. The hardest parts just might be the prequel to the best that yet, that's yet to come. We'll never know unless we keep dreaming and keep chasing them down with all we got. God bless anyone who dares so greatly. Uh, what is the challenge and the encouragement that you would give to everyone listening to this conversation today as they move forward, Jason? Uh, yeah, you said it right there, I guess. I mean, dream, dream big and, and follow those dreams. It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. Mm. Mm. Well, we're grateful for your time. Uh, I'm going to tell everyone they need to go get this book. I know they can find it on Amazon. We'll put the link in the show notes. But thank you for your investment. Thank you for the story that you're living. And thanks for your authenticity, Jason. Appreciate the time, Alex. It's been been great chatting with you. Thanks, man. I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and we were talking about the quality of humility. And one of the things that really stood out to me is that this person said that their favorite definition of humility was to have an accurate view of oneself. Again, humility is to have an accurate view of oneself. Boy, I think that is Jason in spades. He clearly doesn't think too highly of himself. He's not grandstanding about the company that he's built or the way that he's built it. But he also isn't afraid to acknowledge his strengths and the strengths of the brand that he's building and the gifts and talents that have gotten him to where he is. And it's just evidenced throughout the whole story that he told, but it's also evidenced in the way that he told the story with authenticity, with vulnerability, and with a genuine spirit that just absolutely resonates and makes him a leader that is relatable. So I'll tell you, one of my takeaways from that conversation is something that we really didn't even dive into and talk about. It's the fact that when you have an accurate view of yourself, when you don't think too high, when you don't think too low, but rather you remain great grounded and centered in who you are and the gifts, talents, and strengths that you've been given, well, that makes you a leader that people can actually follow. 
We're so grateful to Jason for his time, for his investment, and for his message. I'll tell you, this book is unlike any leadership or business book I've ever read. Like we talked about in the conversation, it's a compilation of emails and journal entries and really catalogs the journey of getting this business off the ground. It's absolutely unbelievable. So we're putting the link to that along with GoRuck's site and some of the gear that they have in the show notes of this episode. So make sure you go and check that out. And if you enjoyed this conversation, our whole team would be beyond grateful if you would take time to write a review uh, on this episode. So please go down, uh, especially if you're on Apple, go rate this episode, review it. We read those reviews every single time and it helps us know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you want to see more of here on the Path for Growth podcast. It also helps us make sure we're getting into the ears of people that don't yet know about Path for Growth. So we're super grateful for your help on that. Well, hey, Know that we're rooting for you. Know that we want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.